from the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 14. What do you confess when you say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He's our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, origins are important. When we first meet someone, we often try to place them. We ask questions like, where are you from? Who are your parents? Is so-and-so related to you? We like to think that if we can place someone, we'll have a better understanding of him or her. At times, that's true. In looks, in personality, in character, we often resemble our parents in some way. People from a certain country or nationality often bear certain characteristics. Italians are known to be passionate people. The French are renowned for their hotte cuisine. The Japanese for their technological innovation. Now last Sunday we spoke about how Christ is the only begotten Son of God. How he is God's eternal natural Son. His origins are from heaven. He's true and eternal God. Yet Christ also has an earthly origin. He became man. Today we may rejoice in the glorious gospel message concerning the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. Even though it's not Christmas yet, we may reflect on how our Savior came into this world to save sinners. In Lord's Day 14, we confess that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This Lord's Day speaks about how the Son of God became man. It speaks about how the Lord Jesus Christ took on a human nature. On the one hand, this is a great mystery. We cannot understand fully how it was possible for Mary, as a virgin, to give birth to the Son of God. And on the other hand, beloved, it is a great miracle. For we see that Christ assumed our flesh and blood in order to be able to serve as our mediator. He became a man. So he'd be able to present himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. Christ became a real human being to make us share in all his benefits. We'll consider our confession about Christ's unique birth and our comfort from Christ's gracious 
mediation. Christ is true and eternal God. We learned that in Lord's Day 13, where we confess him to be the only begotten Son of God. Christ alone is the eternal natural Son of God. He alone shares in God's nature. He is divine. Together with the Father, the Son has existed from all eternity. He's not only God's Son, He is God. Yet at a certain point in time, our Lord became a man. We call this His incarnation or His coming in the flesh. When we discuss this, we're discussing one of the mysteries of the faith. The conception of birth of Christ is not something that can be fully understood by us. For the scriptures teach us that Jesus did not have a natural earthly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Luke describes Christ's conception as follows. An angel came to Mary and said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your room and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary responds to this by asking the angel a question. She asked, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. To assure her that he was speaking the truth, the angel informed her of how the barren Elizabeth had conceived a son in her old age. Gabriel told her, With God, nothing is impossible. Beloved, in the good news proclaimed to Mary, we see something wondrous happening. We know that God created man in his image. That when we were first created, we shared in God's goodness and his righteousness and his holiness. And yet there was always a great contrast between God and man. God is the creator. We are creatures made out of the dust of the earth. God is the potter. We are the clay. God is sovereign ruler. We're subjects who are ruled. God is God. We're just human beings. And yet, in the conception and birth of Jesus Christ, something wondrous happens. Something truly incredible. God the Son, the Creator through whom the world was made, became a creature. The potter becomes clay. The sovereign ruler becomes a slave. God the Son, who is and who remains true and eternal God, 
takes on a real human body and soul, becomes a living, breathing person, just like you and me. It's such a shocking truth that many have been unable to accept it. That was already the case in biblical times. The Apostle John was confronted with false teachers who denied that Jesus had come in the flesh. They taught that Christ only appeared to be human. They said he did not really take on the flesh and blood of his mother Mary. The Apostle John strongly opposed this false teaching. In 1 John 4 verses 2 and 3 he wrote, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In the second letter, John speaks even more strongly against these false teachers. In 2 John 1.7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into this world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. John warns us to watch ourselves so we do not lose the faith, but that we may share in the eternal reward given to all who believe in Jesus. John's opposition to these false teachers is so strong, he warns the people of God not to receive them into their homes, not even to greet them. The church has faced various heretics who denied Christ's humanity. And yet the Bible teaches us that Christ really became a human being. Acts 2 verse 30 says that he is one of David's descendants. Romans 1 3, that he descended from David according to the flesh. Hebrews 7 verse 14 tells us Jesus was descended from Judah, while Romans 9 5 indicates he descended from the Jews according to the flesh. In Luke 1 42, Elizabeth blesses Mary. She blesses the fruit of her womb. Hebrews 2.14 makes it plain that Christ took on a human nature. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he that is Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death you might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Hebrews 2.17 clinches it when it says that Christ had to be made like his brothers in every respect. The testimony of the scriptures is clear. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became a real human being. So why is it important to confess that Jesus took on our flesh and blood, that he became a real person? Because for Jesus to serve as our mediator, he had to be a true and a righteous man. If Jesus was not a human, he could not suffer and die for our sins. God is a just God. He's fair in his dealings with mankind. God's justice requires that the same human nature which has sinned must pay for sin. So if Christ was not really man... God would not accept his atoning sacrifice for our sins. We're left with a whole bunch of questions. 
How could Jesus be God and man at the same time? The Athanasian Creed answers that in Articles 30 to 37. There we confess. Now the right faith is that we should believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is equally both God and man. He is God from the Father's substance, begotten before time. He is man from his mother's substance, born in time. Perfect God, perfect man, composed of a human soul and human flesh, equal to the Father in respect of his divinity, less than the Father in respect of his humanity, who, although he is God and man, is nevertheless not two, but one Christ. He is one, however, not by the transformation of his divinity into flesh, but by the taking up of his humanity into God. One certainly not by the confusion of substance, but by the oneness of person. For just as soul and flesh are one man, so God and man are one Christ. The scriptures bear witness to this truth. This afternoon we read together from Colossians 2. In verse 9, Paul states, For in him that is in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The deity that is God came to dwell in a human body. Earlier in redemptive history, the glory of God came down to dwell in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Now God comes to dwell with us in Jesus Christ. As John says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What Paul is saying in Colossians 2 verse 9 is that when Christ came into this world, he lost none of his deity, of his being God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Christ is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. John confesses in John 1:14. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to earth as God in human flesh. That's why he could later say to his disciples, Anyone who has seen me has seen my Father. The fact that Christ is divine can be seen in the knowledge he had. It is true that as Jesus was growing up, he did not know everything, but that he grew in knowledge and wisdom. Yet Jesus' earthly ministry shows that he had supernatural knowledge. Jesus made this known when he revealed the condition of Nathaniel's heart and what he was doing before they met. He knew the intimate details of the life of the Samaritan woman whom he met at the well. He knew Lazarus was dead before being given news about this. The fact that Jesus retained his divine nature in becoming man can also be seen in the power he had. The Gospels record many miracles that Jesus performed, healing the sick, 
giving sight to the blind, making the lame walk, casting out spirits from those who are demon-possessed, even raising various people from the dead. These wondrous acts of our Savior were meant as signs to testify that the Messiah had come, to help the people believe that Jesus was indeed the Christ. Yet they also serve as a powerful testimony of the fact that Jesus remained true and eternal God during his sojourn on earth. At the same time, the scriptures make it clear that Jesus Christ is true man. Except for sin, Jesus Christ was born as human as you, his brothers and sisters, are. He was born, not created. As a baby, Jesus cried. Boys and girls, at one time, Jesus was young, just like you. Jesus would have played with the other neighborhood kids. He would have laughed while having a good time, and he would have cried when he got hurt. It's likely that Jesus, as the oldest son, helped his father Joseph in his carpentry work. At times, he would get splinters of wood under his skin. As he grew up, he would have developed the muscles and build of one who worked with his hands. Jesus was not a superman whose skin could not be penetrated, who was faster than a speeding bullet, or who jumped over buildings in a single leap. Jesus got tired and hungry and sad. Although we don't know much about Jesus' youth, we know that by age 12, he was confessing his faith and discussing scripture with the Jewish leaders in the temple. They were amazed at his understanding at the answers that he gave. When his parents found Jesus, they asked why he had caused them such anxiety by not returning home with them. Jesus responded, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Yet although he was God, Jesus submitted to the authority of his earthly, of his sinful parents. Luke 2.51 says that Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was submissive to them. Our Lord underwent much suffering in body and spirit. He knows what it means to suffer pain. Jesus suffered much from the rejection of his people, from the betrayal of Judas, from the abandonment of his disciples. The point I want to make, beloved, is that Jesus understands the struggles we go through. He was touched. He is touched by our sadness, by our depression, our loneliness. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In our first point, we dealt with our confession about Christ's unique birth. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He was and remained true and eternal God while taking upon himself a real human nature. Jesus is true God and true man. In our second point, we deal with the consequences of this. 
Christ's unique birth made it possible for him to serve as our mediator. And so in our second point, we'll deal with our comfort from Christ's gracious mediation. For anyone to serve as our mediator, he had to be both God and a real human being. We learned about that already in Lord's Day 6. Our mediator had to be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He had to be true God so that by the power of his divine nature he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. You see, beloved, with the fall into sin, we were plunged into spiritual desolation. We're not only guilty of great sin against God, deserving condemnation, but we also became corrupt by nature. Corrupt parents could only bring forth corrupt children. Thus David confesses in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Paul confirms the manner in which sin is transferred from one generation to the next in Romans 5, verse 12. He says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Yet Christ broke the cycle. He was not conceived and born in sin. He was not born as all others are through the conception of sinful parents. In Luke 1.35, the angel says to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The consequence of the virgin birth is that Jesus was born holy. He was born without sin. Our catechism asks, what benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? It answers, he is our mediator, and with his innocence and holiness covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. The point, beloved, is this. Our salvation depends on Christ being an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. He had to be holy. He had to be without sin to pay the price for our sins. For one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Christ's salvation work began with his holy conception and birth. Through his innocence and perfect holiness, he covers the sin in which we are conceived and born. Our comfort is, Christ came into this world fit for service. The law of Moses specified that any animal brought as an offering to God had to be pure and holy. It could not have any flaw or defect in it, for that would be detestable to God. In 1 Peter 1.19, the Apostle Peter makes it clear. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Since Christ came fit to serve, he was able to redeem us from our sins, to restore us to righteousness and life. 
Paul speaks about this in the passage from Colossians 2, which we read together. In verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Paul shows how Christ is the source from which all blessings flow. While by nature we are conceived and born in sin, Christ grants us new life in him. He has, spent this, he has sent his spirit to live in us, causing us to be born anew, making us a new creation in him. Our comfort, beloved, is that God has provided us with a true mediator. Because Christ was conceived and born in holiness, he's also able to restore us to holiness. In Colossians 2.13, Paul writes, And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here Paul explains the spiritual transformation that occurs when we come to faith in Christ. Although we were dead, we're made alive again. The sinful nature which formerly ruled our lives no longer has mastery over us. Instead, through our union with Christ and by the powerful working of the Spirit in us, we are a new creation. The point is that Christ came fit for service. He makes us fit for service. Christ has covered all our sins in the sight of God. By his unique conception and birth, he could offer himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And thereby he has restored us to the right relationship with God. The result is we no longer need to live according to the sinful nature, pleasing the desires of the flesh. Instead, through the Spirit, we're enabled to live our lives in submission to God. We've been made holy so we can walk with God so we can live our lives to his praise and glory. Does the manner in which Christ was conceived and born have any bearing on your life, beloved? Does it comfort you to know that Christ came as a perfect sacrifice through which we've been made acceptable to God? Do you recognize that through Christ you've been set free from your sins and from the power of the devil? Do you see yourself as a new creation in Christ? Are you offering your body as a living sacrifice of thankfulness to God? Or are you being conformed to the ways of the sinful world? Are you living in the freedom Christ has earned for you? Or are you remaining under the mastery of Satan doing what you want, what feels good to you, what gives you pleasure. The Christmas story, beloved, about how Christ came into this world is good news of great joy. It's meant to fill our hearts with peace. Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary. Believe it and live out of this 
glorious truth. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from hymn 20, stanzas 1, 2, and 4.